So, uh, so baptisms are postponed two weeks. And it's not just the rain. We were going to put up canopies and heaters in the canopies. But really, it, because it's supposed to be like, like low 50s, high 40s today, we didn't want to baptize somebody having to get out of the pool and die right there. <laughs> so I was going to find everybody else in the world to baptize everybody. So they'd be like, yeah, I'll stand here with an umbrella and my snowboarding jacket and I'll be fine. <laughs> I was going to heat up the pool to like 88 degrees so it's all nice and steamy. But I, if you go in, you don't want to come back out. I know. Now, if you did like, you know, because I said a couple weeks ago, if you were the person who brought like that really good chicken tortilla soup to my house and left it in my fridge, if you happen to actually buy that thinking you were coming today, you can still drop that off. <laughs> Just throw that out there. I'll still take it. Or cookies. You know, whatever. Got this penchant for Oreos right now. Welcome to Element. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, there's, And in the sermon notes, actually, this time, there's this little thing in the bottom left-hand corner, and it says, Baptisms, that's directions. Don't, don't like, click on that and come to my house. <laughs> Unless you're bringing that chicken tortilla soup, by the way. All right. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you get an app. It's called Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS. And you click on Live and Uversion, you'll get all the sermon notes, the verses, and all the stuff that we go through. All right, why don't you guys stab me reading God's Word? I was up at like 5 o'clock this morning, and I have no idea why. The time change is just playing havoc with me. It's Ephesians. I don't know why I just told you that. This is Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we as a people would understand what it means to be brought near, how our lives are meant to reflect you and that we would love you more than we love anything else and so that you would gain great glory and honor uh, by your kids living in your name amen have a seat so this is genesis week 10 if this is your first time you missed nine weeks you can go online and get all those that you missed you can even watch them as well we are now video casting I know I got a face for radio, but we're doing it, so you, you, you can look at it and stuff. Uh, this is week 10, so we did. We're hitting double digits. We finally got out of the first three chapters, so we're out of the garden, taking the long trek into humanity. So far, we have seen that God creates all things good, that he invites man to be part of creating and furthering that good, but man chose instead to do his own thing and disobeys God. Man breaks relationship with God and so brought death, sin, and separation into God's creation. So God then comes to the man as God has always been on a rescue mission for his people and he calls to the man but the man runs and the man tries to hide when God then gets a hold of the man he fully fleshes out for the man what happens so the man can understand what he did by trying to live independent from God God makes some promises, offers a curse, and then offers hope that he will send a redeemer and a restorer to take care of the sin problem that now infests mankind. And that answer is Jesus. So this man is cast out of the garden, which is paradise. Actually, the word for garden is paradise. goes back and forth. So out of this paradise, he used to reside within, and he starts to travel east. What you will notice throughout the scriptures is that people move farther and farther east, and that represents them moving farther and farther away from the presence of God. At the end of Genesis Three, uh, God, in, in making man in his image, man now has his whole perception of what life is supposed to be like radically changed. 
Uh, and even today, we were, last week, I, one of the questions in, in the back, our GC was talking about it, and it was, and it was about how do you think pain and toil has affected the earth? What would it be without pain and toil? And Ryan, he, he goes, I don't think we can even comprehend that because just pain and toil is so infected and infested everything, we can't see the difference of what it was and what it's supposed to be. He's just kind of been so inundated with that. And so man now, what happens in Genesis is he lives with the consciousness of his own mortality. And ever since this moment, man has been trying to find ways to make himself immortal in ways that do not include the restoration of relationship with our Creator. And that is the whole point. There's no reason to be immortal if you do not have a relationship with the Creator. I mean, we do this today, and all kinds of ways. We, we drink bottled water and we exercise and Michelle Obama tells your kids what they can eat in school, you know, but none of it means anything if you do not have a relationship with the creator of all things. So God drives Adam out of the garden between chapter 3 and 4. We do not know how long takes place. Uh, people always try and set exact dates on the book of Genesis and you cannot do that. Uh, Genesis is not about exact dates in history. It's about God's glory, the goodness of who he is and the human condition. So, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we start. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and knew this is a sexual connotation. It's intimacy. So when you say, did he know her biblically? Adam knew her biblically. That's what that means. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Genesis reminds you that men and women make babies. Like the rest of creation, we produce after our own kind. Adam and Eve were made by God. Everyone else is a descendant. That's also important in understanding the whole nature of sin. In Psalm 58.3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. From this point of Adam's sin onward, humanity is born with this propensity to sin, with a sin nature. Verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This can literally be translated as, Together with God I have made a man. She was made from man's side. Now she produces a man. And her words in the Hebrew text are actually a bit arrogant. And I'll show you why. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises, I'm going to send a Savior. He is going to redeem and restore mankind. He will crush Satan. He will straighten out the sin problem. Eve thinks she just gave birth to this person. She thinks she just gave birth to Jesus. Jonathan Edwards believed this passage should have been translated, I have gotten a man, the Lord. And so this is her perspective on it. She says, God made a man, so did I. She thinks her child's going to fix all the world's problems. Some of you parents are like that. You think, I'm so great, my kid's great. We're going we're to fix the world's problems. And you realize, who replaced my kid with the demon? And you're like, I don't know what, what to do with this. And what comes next is almost, almost sad because as an afterthought, verse 2, and again she bore his brother Abel. Now, in, in verse 2, there's no she conceived and she bore, which, which makes some commentators think that Abel's an afterthought. And he might even be a twin that came out later, and they didn't know he was coming. Like, they thought it was over, it's like a late night infomercial, but wait, there's more. You get two for the price of one, and bam. And you know, kind of his, Abel's name, it means breath or nothingness. And so it's kind of like they dismiss Abel, and they're putting all their hope into Cain. Now, what follows for us becomes very... Hard for us to deal with. So here we go. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. 
two main occupations now as people try and eke out an existence from the earth. I think Adam and Eve probably had lots of other kids or having lots of other kids and society is moving forward, but it focuses on these two boys. Verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So this becomes about worship. In the fruits of their labors, Cain and Abel both see and experience God's divine blessing in their life. They realize this, so they make an offering to God. This is before money, so a rancher would bring animals, and a farmer would bring, like, broccoli or whatever, right? So Abel's is accepted, Cain's is not. It makes sense if he tried to bring broccoli. God's like, get that away. You know, that's, no, that's not an offering right there. Now, theologians debate this all the time. Why accept one and not the other? John Calvin once said that one was food and the other one was an animal and God expected a sacrifice. I think John Calvin's wrong because that's not what the text says. It says they brought offerings. Offerings at this time could be anything from food, money, time, anything. That's what they were bringing. The deal is that both men came to worship. Both come with the gift fitting their vocation. Both probably come to the same place about the same time and both give their first and their best. Now, before we go on, I got to point this out, that we love to pick on Cain for being terrible. Cain's just a, just a terrible, terrible guy. Me, you and I, many times, we're worse than Cain. We come to worship God and we don't bring anything at all. It's like when we look at the scriptures, we always think we're the good guy and not the bad guy. Oh, me? I'm Abel. Cain, bad me. I, I'm Abel. What Genesis wants you to see throughout the book is whoever the bad guys are over and over, that's us. That's us. That's how we live. We look at this thing. Well, Cain was just an ungodly man. Well, he went to church. He brought an offering. He came to give to God. I mean, we love in churches to sit back and compare everything. Like, oh, the music. Oh, I, I like Sean better than Ryan. Or I like the songs. There's too loud. There's too quiet. There's too this. There's too that. Oh, there's Aaron preaching again. I hate when he wears those button-up shirts with the with the snaps. And, and oh, I, you know, I hate when he yells at me for half an hour. And I like it when he cracks more jokes. And, and have you seen the bathrooms? Oh, the bathrooms are tiny and they smell bad. Yes, we know they're tiny and they smell bad. Okay, we got that. All right. So, oh, the bathrooms are terrible. Oh, have you seen their little sermon notes things? They're black and white. They should all be in color. Go online and download it. it it's in color. We like to sit back and, and look at everything and see if it meets our standards as if we are God. And we ask the question, well, what did I get out of it? If you come to a corporate worship service with any other intention than to meet with God and glorify Him, you're like Cain or worse. That's the point here. Cain came hands full to give to God, not complain about what God had given him. He's the coming to worship. If you feel that way, you have forgotten the point of church. It is Jesus. At least Cain went to church. At least he was on time. We don't even start on time. And at least he brought an offering. I mean, we seem to say to God all the time, God, these are my hands, and these are, this is my body, and my eyes, and my money, and my friends, this is my music, this is my life. And we give God nothing. We say we're like Abel, but not. We are like Cain. So the question is, why did God accept Abel's and not Cain's? Now, part of the answer is that we only see the outward and that God then sees the heart. I think in most churches today, Cain would be like a deacon or an elder because he shows up on time and he gives money. So he's like, ah, you're in, buddy. Jonathan Edwards believed that Cain and Abel can also metaphorically represent the church today, that Abel is like the true church and Cain is the hypocritical church. So I guess First John 3.12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. What John says is that Cain had jealousy in his heart. In Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. It indicates that when he came, he, he came, came with no faith. It was merely religion to him. But he did it because he was only supposed to do it. 
Now, how many people ever come to like a church service and you dress a certain way, you speak a certain way in church service because you want everybody to think you're better than you are? You're always comparing yourself to other people. That's, that's Cain. His sin's not in his hands, it's in his heart. He was jealous of his brother Abel. You know, Cain came, Cain came to give, but his heart wasn't open. He wasn't really worshiping God. This is the beginning of Judaism. And what the scriptures want you to see is that true worship of God is always informed by a genuine devotion of the heart. And that was Abel and not Cain. Cain and Abel both bring their offerings. Cain looks over at his brother and says, Oh, he's going to out-offer me. He's going to out-serve me. He's going to out-give me. What do I do? I mean, some people are always jealous of everybody else. We think, oh, they're more attractive than me. Oh, they, they sing better than me. They know more people than me. You know, they're married and I'm single or... You know, I'm married and they're single. I don't know, <laughs> whatever that works. You know, they have kids and, and you don't. You know, maybe they're really free in how they worship God and I'd really like to be that. Or they're in a good mood all the time and I'm always in a bad mood. And, you know, that's Cain's problem. He looks around and becomes jealous of what everybody else has. He doesn't care how God made him or who God made him to be. He only wants to be his brother. See, the two most important things in your life is number one, Jesus Christ, and secondly, who he calls you and I to become. Becoming the person that God calls us to be is never going to happen when our focus is ourselves or somebody else. No one becomes happy when their goal is simply just to be happy. God made you and I to be people who live in his life, and that life is lived out in great joy. And living that life will never take place when our focus is ourselves. It's always tied to God's vision, which is grander than our vision, which is more noble than our own vision. Our world needs people who live the true life of God because we're called to bring God's life to the entire world. People who flourish in this way always bring blessings to others. I told you this before, that God is more concerned with you reaching your full potential than you could ever be. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This means you are not your workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Your life is not your project. It's God's project. God thought you up. He knows what you were intended to be. And he has good works for you and I to do. This isn't like the list that your spouse gives you on the weekend to mow the lawn and pick up the dog do. This is God's list that actually makes you into your true self where you're selfless, where you're loving, and you bring God's blessing to the entire world. God's spirit in you, you living as his workmanship. This is what happens when you thrive, like when you, when you take a, a plant and you feed it and you water it and you put it right in the right place in the sun and it just goes gangbusters. We call those weeds in Santa Maria, by the way. And they just go gangbusters all the time. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. The Hebrew word for flourish is the word parak, and it means to break out and to fly. That's what God intends for his people. You know, guys, I'll tell you, you cannot be anything you want to be. I know you grow up and teachers and your parents, you can be anything you want. Just put your heart and your mind to it. You can't. I don't think there's anybody that goes to Element who's ever going to be a supermodel. Sorry. You know, you know if, you're, if you're five feet tall and, and you're like, I'm going to play on the Lakers. No, you're not. You know, I don't care how much you think and, and really want it to happen. It's not going to happen. See, you don't get to create you. God creates you and he makes you what he wants you to be. You can actually live in harmony and shalom and peace with God and yourself and become who he means you to be when you surrender and trust him to make you into who he wants you to be. I mean, there's a battle inside of you and me and everyone between the person God made us to be and what our culture tells us we're supposed to be and what we think we need to be, and we languish around wondering why we never feel fulfilled because we're trying to be anything but then what God has called us to be, and that is Cain. 
See, when your life is over, you're not going to stand before God, and God's not going to be like, why weren't you a better Aaron or a better Mikey or a better Ryan or a better Abel? He's going to be like, this is who I made you to be. I think this is one of the reasons he wipes away the tears from our eyes because we're going to see what he intended for us to be. We're going to be like, oh, I could have lived that life fully honoring and trusting you. See, if you are simply you, you don't have to convince people you're anything but you. You you ever run into somebody who's always name-dropping about places or things or all these things, and they're always trying to sound very important about everything? It's very exhausting to be in a conversation with somebody like that. Usually you walk away like, man, glad they shut up now. That's Cain. That's Cain. We got this guy. It's nobody in here. It's not you. I'm not talking about you. Okay. Uh, We got this guy we play softball with sometimes. Every once in a while. It's not like all the time. And he shows up, and and he's like, oh, I could have caught that. I could have done this. I could have done that. I'm just like, shut up. Really, buddy? Really? You can, you can do everything? Okay, Superman, you get good. Seriously, okay, try, try for, for one week, no matter who you're around, not to say anything that makes you sound important or smart or accomplished. And you know what? We find out we don't have a lot to say because we're always spending so much time trying to convince other people we are more than we are. Pretending to be somebody else is hard work. It's why the most two draining things people do are job interviews and first dates. Because it's not us. That's why guys show up with like flowers and chocolates, the disguise. It's like, don't look at me. Jesus is somebody we never have to pretend in front of. Genuine brokenness before God pleases him more than pretend spirituality any day. If you compare yourself to others, it's going to kill your growth and it will kill your worship of God. Somehow we all get this idea in our heads of something we should be that's the exact opposite of what God calls us to be. I mean, Cain, he's a farmer. Abel's a rancher, and yet Cain didn't didn't need to be a rancher. He just needed to be what he was. Everybody in our lives are going to try and make us change into something they want us to be. I mean, at work, your boss is going to want you to be more productive, which maybe some of you should be. That's not really a bad thing. Your gym is going to want you more fit or less fit, so you show up more often. ABC, it's like a total lowest rated television. They want you to watch more TV, so they want to change you. Restaurants want you to eat more food. My dentist calls me all the time. I don't know why. It's not like my teeth are falling out of my head, but he calls me and wants me to come all the time to the dentist's office. I'm like, I still got teeth. I don't know why I need to go see you. I mean, everybody's got an agenda for you. Even you have an agenda for you, but it's marred by the stain of sin. Do you know that you can't even tell you a lot of times how to change because you didn't create you? This is why we surrender our wills and our lives to Jesus because only he can do this for us. He doesn't have some other agenda. He doesn't have a need deep in his soul that you can help him out with. He does it simply because he loves you and he is good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Cain comes to worship with his eyes on himself and on his brother Abel and not on God. Uh, I have some questions I want to ask you, and they're actually on the back of that. So if you're in GCs, hopefully you'll ask that this week. But these are three questions I had in there. Are you satisfied with who God made you to be? And the true answer for most people is no, not really. Do you believe that God has made you sufficient for the task in life that he has called you to? Will you praise and honor God even when you don't understand what he is doing? Will you always be looking at other people's lives and comparing yourself to theirs? See, Cain worships, but it's simply out of duty. And not that worship sometimes doesn't include duty, but for Cain, that's all that it is. It's just duty. Well, Abel knows real intimacy with God. At the end of verse 5, you see this in the text. In verse 5 in chapter 4, it says, So Cain was very angry and his face Fell. The word angry here means distressed, despondent. Uh, it means depression. It's like a pity party. Oh, I'm never going to be good enough for God. Oh, poor me. 
Before this gets out of control, God shows up to wake Cain up. Just like he did with Adam before the fall, don't eat of this tree. He shows up before Cain does something he's going to regret. You see God constantly seeking out his children. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? He's like, Cain, I can see it on your face. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And this is not advocating some simple works-based religion. But sometimes we must decide to do what is right, even when we don't want to, simply because it's right and we love God more than we love our sin. God's telling Cain, you have a choice. You know right from wrong. You know what you were made for. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, and you must rule over it. Literally, its urge is for you. You must be master of your sin. Now, does Cain listen? No. No. Anybody ever read the story of Cain and Abel? No. No, he doesn't listen. He hatches a plan. Verse 8, Cain spoke to his Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Hey, Abel, let's go hang out. You and me out in the field will be kind of fun. Abel, nice guy, says, sure. Let's go out there. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, I don't think it just kind of happened like that. I, in my mind, I see it like two brothers starting an argument. Like, you know, Cain's just all, ah, how come God likes you more than me? And Abel's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. He likes your offering and not mine. Oh, okay, I'm going to beat you up. Oh, no, you're not. I'm going to beat you up. Oh, no, you're not. And it's like brothers, right? And they start fighting, you know, especially they're twins, like same age, probably about same size. Boom, boom, probably in the middle of it. The king probably grabs a rock. Boom, over. That's, don't end a fight that way. That, that, that's really sad. One of the saddest things you see in Scripture is this right here, that Cain is so jealous of Abel that he gets rid of him. This is, this is sin, or, uh, Snow White story before Snow White. you got the, got the evil queen, fairest one in the land, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I the hottest of them all? You know, and, and the mirror says, oh no, Snow White's around now, so you're not so hot anymore. So what does the queen do? Goes and tries to kill Snow White. So I'll get rid of her, then I'll be the hottest in the land again. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm really sorry. You should know the story by now anyway. I mean, you are an American, whatever. All right. This is just like you and me. We tear people around us down by mocking them and gossiping about them. We try to destroy other people so we feel better about themselves or get a laugh out of it. Next time you're around people and that starts happening, your response should be, hey, way to go, Cain. Just throw it out there and just go with it. And be like, what are you talking about? Well, here, uh, I got an MP3 for you. and It's a video, too, if you want to watch it. You know. Cain had just left the presence of God with a warning. Starts in jealousy and God says, Cain, you have no right to be mad. Stop it. And he leaves God's presence and he sins. The first recorded death in the scriptures is not natural causes. It's one brother killing another. It's at the human hands. And the irony in all of this is that Adam and Eve are trying to find immortality. They think they're going to straighten it out with Cain. And what does Cain bring? More death more death. Just like when we put hope in people. People will always let you down because they are not God. We trust in Jesus Christ. We don't trust in Cain. I mean, today, this is the, we fear terrorists and budget deficits in America and war, but in Genesis, it shows those closest to us are the ones who hurt us the most. See, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but our biggest threat to each other is us. And this isn't just what happened. This is what constantly continues to happen. Adam sinned. He tries to cover it up. Cain sins, tries to cover it up. Humans are in this thing of folly and death over and over and over. The sadness of religion, the sadness of Cain, is that religion can turn into piety and that piety can easily turn into bloodshed. 
And we are to be a people who stop lifting each other up and lift up Jesus. See, Cain sins, but who shows up? God, God shows up. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? This is rhetorical. God knows where Abel is. It's not like, a, I don't know where he went. He disappeared. Can you help me find him, Cain? That's not what's happening. God is trying to get a response, elicit repentance from Cain. And again, Cain doesn't seek God. God is seeking out Cain. And Cain lies. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I the babysitter? Did you lose him? Do you need me to look for him with you? I mean, seriously, if you're God, you just want to smack that grin up that kid's face, right? Boom! Shut up, kid! I'm God! I can smoke you! You know? But I don't know. And th- but this, again, is so like us, is it not? Someone comes and they confront us about something in our lives, and what do we do? We get mad at them. We throw things in their face. Well, how dare you? What, uh, and well, you did this, and I saw uh, And we just throw it right back at somebody else. Verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, God doesn't fail to speak. It's Cain that fails to listen. This is, again, like us. Some people come to churches, element, wherever, for years, and you hear this, the problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. The problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. And nobody listens. Wives respect your husbands. Nobody listens. Husbands love your wives. Nobody listens. You know, all that you are and do belongs to God. Nobody seems to listen. We must listen to the voice of God because our God is speaking to us. Our problem is Cain's problem. We don't listen. God is speaking. Verse 11, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you, yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. It's like you have dishonored the ground with your brother's blood, and now the ground's going to fight against you. And we're going to come back and actually start there next week and start going forward with that. But you need to understand something about Cain and Abel in this story. You see Cain on his worst day of his entire life. Imagine, as we like to look at and judge Cain, imagine the worst day and the thing that you would love to hide that you don't want anybody else to know. Right? That, That day was recorded for all history, for everybody to read. Nobody knows anything about you but that day and that terrible thing you don't want anybody to know. That'd be horrible, right? This, this is Cain. You don't know what his childhood was like, if his sense of humor, his athletic ability, how he loved his wife. All you know, he was jealous and he murdered his brother. The Bible is the most honest book ever written. We know it's from God because no men would let this stuff out. We'd be like, we'll kill you to make sure nobody knows my story of what I just did. This highlights people's worst day. And you know why? So we can identify that we are like Cain. See, in Cain and Abel, you still continue to see hope and salvation but you see it in what we know now in light of the New Testament. There's all kinds of opposites that take place between Cain and Abel and then what you see happens when Jesus comes. And I want to point these out to you because I want to round this out a little bit. In Genesis 4.1, who is the firstborn in creation? It is Cain. But who is called the firstborn over creation? That is Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, can you conquer sin or has sin already conquered humanity? Sin already conquered humanity. We're just like Cain. But Jesus conquers sin. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Cain and Abel are sons of who? 
Adam and Eve. Got it. Yeah, there you go. We, we just read it. We're, we're good. Okay. You know, Jesus then is the son of who? God. So who is our hope in? Is it in the son of Adam and Eve or is the son of God? The son of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Cain kills Abel. Who did our sin kill? Jesus. Jesus had to die because of our sin. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This means he was delivered over to death for our sins. We are like Cain. Cain and Abel both bring first fruits to God. In 1 Corinthians 15.23, it tells us Jesus is the first fruits of God. Abel's blood cries out from the ground in Genesis 4.10. Does Jesus' blood cry out? Yes. Hebrews 12.24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is so important because Jesus' love is a cry of hope. And guys, like, you may have messed up your life. You may be like, yeah, I am totally like Cain. But God comes looking for you and for me. That's the point, that our God is on a rescue mission for his people so we don't have to stay there. See, this is the amazing thing. Next week, you'll see that, that God embraces Cain, that God restores him a little bit. And when he does, he gives him a mark. It's when we turn from sin, we embrace Jesus, God marks us. Uh, in the NIV, in Ephesians 4.13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God marks us with his spirit as his people. Yes, we have lived and walked the way of Cain, but we no longer have to live that way anymore. And just like God protected Adam and Eve and how he sought after Cain, he promises that he will forgive our past, he will redeem our future, and we must be willing to put our hope and our faith and trust in him. We need to learn to be a people who simply live as he created us to be and stop trying to be everybody else but just be who he made us to be. See, this is, this is one of the beauties of communion. Is that when we take communion, it reminds us of Christ's sacrifice, his broken body, which in breaking that cracker and his blood that was shed and the wine of the grape juice. And it reminds us that as our great God, he came to restore us to who we were always meant to be. And he offers that to us. And so remember that. The band's going to come up and do a couple songs. And as they do these songs, we invite you to partake in communion. But again, it's a response to what God is doing. So hopefully take a few moments and, and pray and ask God to show you the ways in, in your life that he wants to have you just be who he made you to be. So you can stop being jealous of everybody else and stop trying to be something you're not. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And when you go, if you want to pray with them, guys, I would totally encourage you to. Because maybe you live your life in such a way that you're thinking, I, I'm Cain. I need to stop being this. I need to be what God called me to be. They would love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes inside and on the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. And so we give as a response. This is why we give you the opportunity. We don't pass the plate. You get up and actually do it. I mean, hands full, giving to God. That's what he calls his people to. And then there's some food in the back. Apparently in first service there was bacon shoved inside some biscuits which apparently somebody does love Jesus. <laughs> Bacon's good, okay. <laughs> you can bring that to the baptisms when you come. Uh, we, we put food back there so again, you guys can get to know each other, gain some relationships with each other, and spur one another on. So you, can, so you can call people on their stuff when they're trying to be jealous of everybody else instead of living it simply as who they were called to live and be. I mean, we, we do, yes, God saves us personally. He redeems us personally. But our lives were meant to be lived corporately with each other. 
the, the walk that God calls us to is never just personal and individual. It is corporate as a people moving forward, following who God is. And that is an act of worship. And that is one of the reasons why Jesus also came and died and rose so that he can redeem us, not just have relationships with him again, but with each other as well. I mean, as you start to walk through the rest of the book of Genesis, you will see more and more of the amazing stuff that God is setting right and that he has set right, actually, in the person of Christ, by Christ's death and resurrection and the new life, the new covenant that he gives to you and I as his people. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would take our hearts and you would change them to not be so jealous of what everybody else has, but simply trust you as you have made us to be. That we could stop working so hard to impress everybody else when you, as our God, has already accepted us and loved us. We thank you for coming to rescue and redeem us and not leaving us in the place where we're trying to cover and hide all of our sin and run away like Adam and like Cain. And so I ask that our worship of you would be more than songs in a room on a Sunday morning, that there would be lives that are lived outside of these walls, bringing blessing and grace to everyone we come into contact with because our great God has sought us and rescued us. And you've given us new life and hope and purpose again. Thank you for coming in our place and bringing your wayward children home. We ask that what we say and do would change from this day on and that you be fully honored by how your children live their lives, bringing you great glory in the fullness of the grace that you have given to us. Amen.